Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and tonight we are joined by Dr. Lisa Liu. Growing up, Dr. Lisa Liu has always known that she wanted to be a dentist. Lisa grew up in Hamilton, New Zealand, before moving to Brisbane to study dentistry, graduating from the University of Queensland with first-class honours in 2016. She then moved in Brisbane and now works in Brisbane West. Taking pride in upskilling and keeping up to date with the latest trends, Lisa has attended multiple courses over the last five years. Lisa has a particular passion for restorative work, especially cosmetic and rehabilitative cases. Dr. Lisa Liu, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks for having me. (laughs) That's all good. So you've been out for about five years. Tell us about your CPD journey so far. Oh, where to begin, hey? I think you had Dr. James Tran on earlier a couple of weeks ago and yes. I am in a similar situation to him, like still broke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I graduated from UQ and I'm I'm sure everyone has had like the same experience. You, you come out of UD and you go into the real world and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. So like, yeah, you got the basic bread and butter feelings and stuff like that. Um, but it's... It's like a lot of the talk, a lot of the ins and outs, you know, working with people who aren't there, working with people who are paying money, working with your staff members, and then on top of that, actually recalling and reviewing your work, having people come back with sore teeth, post-op sensitivity, all these kinds of things. So um, when I first started out, I worked uh, quite close to home and it I, I was the only dentist there and I kind of like built up the practice over time and and I, I, I got so much faster. I was like really proud of myself. But then I realized like, you know, I wanted to know more and I wanted to do more. And at the time, my boss was working a lot with full arch cases, with implants, and it was just really inspiring to see like as a young dentist, you, you see all these like big treatment plans, big big treatments in general and it was just very inspiring to see so I knew that like I I wanted to get into bigger kinds of dentistry um, beyond just coming in going for checkups getting fillings done and stuff like that but I started off doing my first course was actually a DIO implant course because it was under the recommendation of my boss and then I realized that surgical extractions were probably one of like the best ways to jump into surgery in general like if you can't do a proper wisdom if you can't raise a flat properly if you don't know your anatomy like how are you expected to do any type of surgery whether it's implants you know soft tissue grafting stuff like that so i did a bit of that and then i also took a cdct course to you know get into the implant side of things so that was a lot more from the implant side of me who wanted like jump the gun and you know get in there and then come about like august in my first year i started getting a lot of 
you know, crowns come back with post-op sensitivity, my fillings come back and they're like, it just doesn't feel right. Like it's a bit sore somewhere. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? Like, am I a dentist? Am I doing the right things? And then I realized I got to step, take a step back. Like if you don't understand teeth, why are you replacing teeth? And I started placing my journey back in the basics, restorative. So my jump, my jump board was probably restoring excellence posterior dentistry in November in my first year. And that just changed my perspective of everything, you know, um, how I did dentistry, how I did my fillings, how I did my procedures. It was, it was, things became, from, rather than going like fast, quick, it became good quality dentistry. And so moving on from there quickly, things like quickly spiraled. Like I love the way Lincoln approached and proceeded about his course. I learned so much about, you know, proper matrixing, proper bonding protocols, which is just, <laughs> just so important and things that, you know, you didn't, you just took for granted in uni, um, like jumping into second year, I did restoring excellence anterior, um, anterior teeth. And then I did restoring excellence full arch. I also did restoring excellence IETP, which is probably as far as communication kind of goes for me. But I thought IETP was really, really awesome because when you start reaching bigger treatment plans, like, you know, what, what's your limit? It could be the $10,000 limit. It could be the $2,000 limit or it could be a $30,000 limit. You start to, you start to choke and then you're like, that's the, the, and IETP kind of helps you, you know, get better. Like beyond that, there are certain things that, you know, if patients want a certain, like there are a million ways to roam and there are only like, you know, two or three right ways that the patient would prefer. And IETP kind of just dumbed that all down in terms of communication and really just laying out your options to your patient real quick um, and kind of just being able to form a treatment plan in that way as well. So I thought IETP was really, really cool. Um, but then there were also like a quite quite a few other ones. I Second year, I started also doing a little bit of sleep apnea stuff with Derek Mahoney. Um, and that was a lot of alternative dentistry and really interesting. And I, I really enjoyed it. But we'll talk about the actual course later. I'm kind of just detailing what I did in my first, second year and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's slow it down I'm a little bit. Let's slow it down a little bit, hey, for, for our viewers, because they're probably trying to follow. So this is this is my understanding of your timeline so far, if I'm not wrong. So you're out eight months before you take and you've already taken an implant, you've taken a surgical um, um, course. Is that right? Yes. Okay, yes. so <laughs> so this is because your your ment your your mentor slash um, uh, boss at the time was doing these sort of things and he was encouraging you to tap to take it on. Is that yeah, right? Sure. Yeah, that's right. And I I'm mean, not saying it's a bad thing, but it was yeah. definitely um, I, if, if I was to redo it again, I'd probably go back to restorative first, yeah. Restorative first, yeah, yeah, okay. So you would do the restorative first before jumping into these ones. So you felt like at that time, um, it was a bit too quick. Is that right? Like your yeah, skills like, weren't level, yeah. Considering my first my first course was an implant course, it's like, 
Yeah, yeah. I'm doing implant course. Like, why? (laughs) Yeah, well, okay. For a lot of graduates that'll probably be listening, that's the things that are on their mind. The first things are author. They're thinking about implants. You know, they're thinking about these things. And, you know, um, but you've done it and, you know, you felt that it was a bit too quick. You felt like you should have touched up on the bread and butter stuff because you're, like you said, at that point, you're having issues with crowns not fitting you had post-op sensitivity and these are those things that made you realize wait before getting into that i wanted to touch up on the um, bread and butter stuff 100 percent, yeah so yeah. that would absolutely be something that i would just like say to any young grads here implants look so cool but if you can't do your fillings properly then implants are still cool, but you still can't do your feelings properly. Like, yeah, it's like, I mean, the patient, how's the patient going to build that trust for you if you can't do their feeling properly? You know how they're going to invest thousands of dollars into what you're telling them to do when you can't even do a simple $200 feeling, let's say, you know? Yeah. No, I follow your train of thought. So, okay, we get to this point, you know, you're eight months out and you're having these issues. Obviously, this is a tough period. And then you've decided that you're going to invest heavily into it. And when I say heavily, you meant hard. Like, these courses aren't cheap. So tell me about your mindset at this point when you've decided that, you know, instead of going for maybe a weekend course, you know, a couple weekend courses, you've decided, no, what, I'm just going to go ham and go hard. Um... Train of thought. This is very interesting. I didn't, there was no train of thought. I was just like, how can I be a better dentist to my patients? Because I'm, I'm sure like as dentists, we're all probably OCD in some way. Um, but it's, it's just that we take pride in our work. Like I'm sure a lot of people do. And for me, I'm like, what is the best treatment that I can offer my patients? And I was doing anterior fillings, the color wasn't right, the shape wasn't right, like everything wasn't right. I was doing posterior fillings, like not necessarily bond, but posterior sensitivity or the shape wasn't right, stuff like that, Uh, you know, contacts not touching, all these things. And I just, like, once I got that posterior course and I realized that, I was like, poof. (laughs) Uh, I, I just wanted to do so much more. I'm like, there's a whole world out there where I can do so much better work why don't I learn about it because I don't want to have my patients come back in six months time and have have myself staring at my own work and be like is this is this the best you can do like that's that's not what I want to be so I guess it is partially for my own ego but also for the patient's benefit as well so I I just wanted to know more I just wanted to do a lot more I want to do do the best treatment for my patients. And at that time, I didn't really care about how much money I was spending. I mean, most people should, but I just, <laughs> I just, I was just like, hey, look, you know, I'm learning so much. And it's it's kind of almost addicting in a way where all of a sudden you do this work and it just looks so good and you're so proud of yourself. And you're like, maybe I can do more. Maybe I can do more. Probably, um, I'm, I'm sure everyone has like this little ambition in them where they, they just want to do better be better um and that was yeah i like you said that sparked a whole chain of attending lots of different courses um, sure yeah. so would you say that someone in like it was recommended to you from someone or was it something that you just came across and you're like this sounds like something that's fit for me 
when I did Restoring Excellence in the first year, like I just really liked Lincoln's train of thought and like Lincoln's teaching methods. Like he is an absolutely fantastic educator, straight onto the point, you know, um, definitely talks about a lot about his own experiences as, but most importantly, his failures, like what didn't work for him as well. And so that, that's, that's what really actually helps you because you know you can talk about everyone can talk about their good work but you want to also talk about the things that didn't work um to know how you can not do mistakes like it's definitely not make the same mistakes yeah exactly so it's it's i just thought it was brilliant so when i started doing dysposteria and he had like a whole um lecture series in a way like anterior and then full arch and then retp so i just i just did them all together so i didn't I didn't really branch out very much because I was just very like lured by the amount of information that I get and it was all really good and that was when before it turned into ripe so that was um there was no hands-on when I went there um that was like a whole separate thing I just did the two-day lecture series and then do the hands-on until the third year where I, I went back and did the hands-on so right so that kind of you're seeing the philosophy and that was you agreed with it and that's why you were followed through to yeah. doing it Yes. Um, I'm just going to rehash back for some of those points because some of the listeners are probably wondering, you know, when you did those implants, when you did those surgical um, courses, mm. did that translate to in surgery? Were you doing implants? Did you end up doing surgical extractions? I, oh, I'm still doing surgical extractions. Obviously, very case selective. I didn't probably... Um, like I, I still do surgical extractions. It's definitely given me a good ground. Cause I think one of the things in uni for UQ anyway, surgical extractions were like, yeah, no, very sacred, special people get to do it kind of situation. So when you get out of den like uni, a lot of people have this mindset where it's like, oh my God, surgical extraction. So that kind of just gave me the confidence to be like, you know what you're doing. Like all it is like opening a butt, removing a bone, sectioning, guttering, stuff like that. Like it's it's not much different to your normal extraction. And I don't know, people probably um, can me for this, but I, that's, that's personally how I felt about the course when I went to it. Um, I did end up doing a few implants here and there because my boss was very kind to me at the time and how guided me through a couple. I probably placed about 10, 12 implants. Um, so it was all guided as well. So that was really helpful. Definitely makes it like a, almost like a very, a very simple step forward. Hey guys, we're excited to count down to SIDCON 22 for the next Week leading up to SIDCON, I've teamed up with ADA New South Wales to give away one free ticket to SIDCON 22. To enter, all you have to do is post a photo on Instagram, tell us your favorite CBD course you've attended in the last two years, and tag ADA New South Wales branch and CPD junkie. Hashtag SIDCON 22, hashtag CPD junkie, hashtag content. The contest will run from the 8th of March 22 to 14th of March 22 and the winner will be chosen at random and will be notified on the 15th of March 22. Choose your experience with a major dental event of 2022. Find out more and book www.sidcon.com.au. 
So fast forward, you know, we're two years now slash three years. You started to do sleep apnea now. Tell us a little bit. So you is this because there was something at work? You had cases at work that uh, meant that you needed to learn more about it or you were interested in it because there was a lot of hype around? Or So it's always like obviously Derek Mahoney has two groups of people. They like love him or they hate him. And I don't think there's really, really much in between, but you see, obviously it's a very kind of alternative side of dentistry. And my friend, Justin said, Hey, look, you know, this course is awesome. Come do it with me. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. So I just, that was actually what happened. So I went ahead and did it, but did it change a lot of the ways that I did things? Probably not so much. So he went into a lot of detail about, sleep therapists like just working in a whole integrated fashion with a lot of different people and unless you have like these really good connections with ENTs myofacial therapists um and physios but physios but like people who also believe in your philosophy as well the number of ENTs that I've tried to talk to about airway and they're just like no not taking tonsils out in kids it's just it's it's really hard to establish those connections Whereas Derek, because obviously he has this whole group in Sydney, um, it's a lot easier for him. So I did it change much of the dentistry I did? No. But I would say it is still very helpful. Like a lot of kids who come in with particular malocclusions or they behave a certain way or um, just, you know, certain things. You look and you're like, hey, look, have you, they've got really big tonsils take them to the ENT, get it all checked out. Whether or not the parents want to do anything is a whole separate issue as well. Um, but that's why did I do it? Because my friend told me to. <laughs> I did, <laughs> did find that, it very helpful though. But did, did that you... yeah, did that translate to ortho, learning about ortho as well or so I'm was that? POS ortho and I started at the end of third year dentistry. Um, did it translate to ortho? <laughs> I wouldn't say it translated, but it did kind of change the way I thought about extractions and stuff like that. See, Derek is not against extractions per se. He would say you shouldn't, you should not extract teeth if it's going to retract and close and like, you know, limit your airway, which is, you know, fair enough. And I always keep that as one of my factors when I'm treatment planning for braces as well. It's not something if I'm obviously there are people who definitely need extractions, you know, you think about soft tissue and stuff like that. Um, I would say that um, doing ortho now that I've done POS ortho and understood the mechanics of it, sometimes extractions are necessary. So it, I, I can't really say it really translates per se. I would be interested in maybe perhaps doing EODO down the track because I would love to know more about airway-related industry as well and, um, you know, maybe perhaps like different functional appliances or early intervention and stuff like that. But given the low... I think you talk... I think you bring up an interesting point. You know, a lot of people attend one particular ortho, um, uh, maybe structured course, let's call it, and then they feel like that's enough to kind of be um, enough. But you're, what you're saying is that after attending one, you, or even halfway through attending it, or I'm not sure what stage you're at, but 
even after attending it, you still feel compelled that you need to go and attend another one to learn more. I didn't, because when I did EODO, it wasn't for braces, it was for sleep apnea. So they didn't really touch on as much braces. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just kind of a philosophy about, you know, mouth breathing, how airways affect, you know, jaw development in in a sense, but also just general health in general. Um, I did POS because my bosses do POS. So our whole system is based on POS. And for me to jump through to EODO and order different brackets and use a whole different system to me it didn't really make sense um and i know pos is very strongly structured uh, very good support system so if you did you know run into trouble and the main important thing is pos is very similar to traditional author and the way they do it so if you do run into trouble then at, you know at least it's more similar to what traditional orthodontics is like whereas if you run into trouble with things like eodo and stuff like that um i find that it might be a bit more difficult to defend yourself when it comes to it that's my personal thoughts on that like i would love to you know get my foundations of pos correct first and then and then move on to eodo down the track um once I yeah, lay my ground for ortho and get it all right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and this is all encompassing to trying to, um, you know, um, your, your aim is obviously trying to do more cosmetic, more rehabilitative cases. Some of our listeners are probably wondering, you know, um, you're spending a lot of money. How do you get these kind of cases to kind of come about? Have you... Is it because of the way the practice is built and you've been able to, to kind of see how that's translated? Because sometimes people attend these big courses yeah. um, but don't actually have the patients lined up for it. Yeah, 100%. So um, how do you get big cases to come to you? Just be honest. You know, like if you see a whole mouthful of erosion, like an acid wear, and then they come to you saying, I want to fix my front tooth. You talk to them, you're like, yeah, I can fix it, but it's going to break in four months and I'll charge you full price to fix it up again. Like that's your, that's, that's one way. Or alternatively, if you do want to fix it up long-term, we can look at doing X, Y, and Z and stuff like that. Like, you know, there, there are definitely certain things that if you're, I feel like if you're honest with your patient, you tell them the truth and you, it's, they'll feel your honesty seep through. And that's what, I'm saying this from personal experience because a lot of my patients say that it's they feel comfortable because I'm not trying to just rip them off. Like it's letting them understand and letting them own their problem. Like taking photos is a hundred percent my go-to. Like it's it's a non-negotiable thing. Like I, I have to take photos. And then patients will sit up, they'll stare at the computer screen. It is very confronting, but also very helpful. And I will and we'll look at their front teeth on like tell me everything you don't like about it. And then I can say, well, this is what we can change, this is what we can't change. And then, you know, and then they they realize, you know, oh, and then they understand and they'll come back and that's when I think things will sort themselves out. And, you know, say for example, like crowded teeth or something like that. And they're like, I want veneers. You put your teeth, you, you put the photos up and you're like, yeah, I can make veneers. They'll probably come out this way if you don't want them to look, if you don't want to, you know, destroy tree structure. Or we've got to shave the teeth all the way down here and I'll, you know, kill your nerve and give you root canals and stuff like that. And you'll probably pay a few thousand dollars for your root canal. So like, what would you prefer? And I, 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 it's the photos are just 
an absolute must. If you if you're a new grad and you want these cases, get a camera. 100%. Practice your photography skills um, and start kind of just presenting on the spot. Like you don't necessarily have to make a treatment plan on the spot, but it's letting the patients see their own teeth from a different perspective and then they'll know, they'll know a little bit more about why things can or can't work sometimes as well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, okay, so I'm going to pivot a little bit here. So you've previously spoken at the um, right midwinter meeting about your struggles as a young dentist, you know, working really hard and still feeling empty on the inside. Tell us a little bit about that and have there been more struggles since then? So isn't life just like an up and down? When I was speaking at that midwinter meeting, I was changing between my first and my second job. And my first job, I was working six days a week, kind of mostly by myself. Um, And I didn't really have as much of that support system as I like. And it's, I think when you're a new grad, you want to know that what you're doing is okay. Uh, And it, it just felt really hard for me. And also being by myself for six days, like that was a lot. So when I changed, to the new practice, I found it very hard. Um, but just jumping, sorry, going back a step. Obviously, six days a week is not like maintainable for most people. Um, when you're newly graduated, you're like, job offer, great, I'll give my everything into the practice. And I did. And it, I formed like these beautiful relationships with these customers, um, these, sorry, these patients. And they'll bring their family back, they'll bring friends and stuff like that. And for, for you to feel like you have to leave them in a way felt like you're almost kind of leaving a part of your heart behind, especially because it's your first and you give your blood and soul and everything else. Um, but I realized that, you know, maybe there are some things that didn't line up with my philosophy and the way that I wanted to do things and, you know, working six days a week. And then everything just felt like it was just too much, you know, wanting to do good dentistry in a place that you felt like you couldn't really, you know, weren't supported. Use. Yeah, weren't supported, using your best potential, weren't on the same philosophy, weren't on the same page as your boss, then that can be really hard. So, um, I left my first job and went to second. Like all places have their good or bad. Like there is no absolute good and absolute bad. And I, I left my first um, workplace and went to my second. But I started my second workplace at um, for about two, three days a week. And that was when I felt my absolute happiest in like my whole life. I think work-life balance at two, three days a week is beautiful, <laughs> especially for dentistry. Um, speaking to physios, they'll tell you that, you know, dentistry is not, not physiological in any way at all for, for your whole posture. Do you think some of that hard working mentality that you felt you were, um, compelled to was coming from maybe a cultural background or? Oh, I mean, (laughs) I mean, of course, um, I think it's, it's not necessarily I think Asians have a work ethic where it's like you work till you die. You work very, very hard. You give it your all. Um, And that's, I'm not saying that like other cultures don't, but it's definitely that's something that's been ingrained into us. So for sure, I definitely felt like that was something that would have factored in um, (laughs) working too hard. Like if moving on to where I'm working now, I'm working like, 
four and a half days in general and it's not it's like not too bad um yeah it, it's it's i'm working just as hard but it's having a bit more of a work-life balance as well that's so just so important like at the end of the day you don't want to become just a dentist and nothing else <laughs> I mean, if you want to be just a dentist and nothing else and you absolutely love it, cool. But there's looking after your health 100%. Like if you're not, if you're bending over for eight hours per day and you're, you, you go home and you're looking at a computer screen and you're still doing this, like you really need to do this. <laughs> um, you can't work for very long if you don't look after your health. Like I started... Um, going to Pilates classes and yoga classes and uh, really I felt after my first year my back pain was intense I would finish work and I, I'm sure some of you can relate would go home and just lie in my bed and I couldn't move like <laughs> just couldn't move and I'm like this is my first year out like is this is the rest of my life going to be like this I like if I if I have kids I'm going to come home from work and I'm just going to lie down in bed while they're jumping around so I started um, training my core a lot more and that's just as, as dentists, especially your core is just probably the most important thing that you have to do. I found really Pilates really helped. Um, and also like posterior chain strengthening back and stuff like that. I really found joy in that as well. So um, decided to pursue it just a little bit more, but beyond that, yeah, like just making sure that you are healthy, but also mentally healthy as well. Like if you, if you are, you know, doing dentistry and you're all you're thinking about is dentistry or all you're thinking about is how your dentistry is good or like is, is bad, especially because I know we tend to focus on the bad things a lot, then, you know, come back and be, you know, remember what, what the important things in life are or stuff like that. There's, there's so much beyond work and it's, you know, taking his time, sometimes it's really important to even just take a week and then just, you know, maybe lie in bed and do nothing or maybe sit with your favourite book and do, just read or just sit and be grateful for three things around you. There's just, just so many things that, you know, it's after leaving and kind of being very tired and then I had to, I had to come back to work with a different mindset to make sure that it wouldn't have happened again. And, you know, just putting yourself first is really, really important. Physical health, mental health, these two things should absolutely, you know, go first beyond work. Yeah. Just talk, just, just to rehash in some of those the things that you're talking about, mental health, you know. Have you read the book Subtle Art of Not Giving an F? What are your thoughts? It's the first book that kind of entered, that let, helped me enter the self-development world. Um, it's... It's good. I like it. I think it's it's um it puts a lot of things into modern day perspective about things, which is which is great. Like you know, at the end of the day, we are just all these things that happen in our life are infinite infinitesimal in the grand scheme of everything else. Like yeah, sure. Like maybe your crown and sword didn't go well, but you can go back and recut the crown and put another one back on and yeah that might suck but hey look we move on you know we, we so much focus on these little things and sometimes you're, you're like in the grand scheme of things like what 
what does it matter? Yeah, so I think, yeah, definitely coming back and focusing on mental health, focusing on, it sounds really stupid, but knowing what's important. Um, and it's, I yeah, that's probably the better thing to do. There's like a whole list of, if you want to go down the mental health track, there's like a, a really, there's a whole list of really good self-development books. Just, I went on Audible and kind of just <laughs> went through them one by one. Um, and some will sing to you and some may not. And it doesn't matter, you know, just like in the same way, not there's not one thing that is perfect for everyone. Um, but it's just taking a little bit here and there uh, from just like even from courses, you can take yeah. the same course from different instructors and just take a little bit here and there. And I think that's just really important as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the you talked about back pain. I want to come back to that for a little second. So you talked about how you, that happened. You noticed that a lot more during your first year, but that didn't actually start during then, did it? It started probably during dance school, would uh, you say? Yes. <laughs> when um, I... I at UQ, we have fifth year, which is like clinical, um, completely clinical. And I've always used loops. I started using loops in third year. And so I've always been very lucky. Like I've been trained in doing loops, but I like started doing fifth year dentistry and I'm like, I come home, but I didn't really think of it as much then. I'm like, oh yeah, this would be a bit bad because compared to what we do now, what we do during um, our placement is very small. <laughs> once you compared to private work and then I think once I went to private work where I was you know churning all these patients through and through and just sitting in that one position yeah that was bad it became it exponentially grew worse yeah yeah, yeah. so then you got a pentax loops right yeah I got pentax loops which are very honest love hate love hate kind of situation like I love them in the way that yes my back is so much straighter it's <laughs> absolutely helps and yeah, obviously core exercises really help but my pentax loop just really that neck pain completely gone not completely most of the time is gone but they're very heavy they'll slip down your nose they'll like leave these indents here you cannot drop them um and then when you put them away in your little bag sometimes you can twist the focus lenses so when you put them back on you're like all nauseous again and it's a, a love-hate situation. Can't live without them. Can't live with them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, talking about dentistry as well, you know, some of the struggles that some of we, some of us new grads might have are dentures. What are your thoughts on that? Um, people are saying dentures going to be phased out. I don't believe so. At the end of the day, you're like, oh, you know, implants going to replace dentures. How, how much do implants cost? Like if you ask most of your patients and you're going to be like, I'm going to place like four implants here, place a denture on top. Like that could easily be like $15,000 and not everyone has just $15,000 spare on them. Um, so dentures aren't going to go away. I don't particularly like dentures, but I'll do, uh, well, I don't mind partial dentures. Full dentures don't particularly like, but I think it's just as important because at the end of the day, even if you were to do implant retained dentures down the track, you're still going to need really good impression skills. You're still going to need like these, everything that you have for dentures, that's your foundation to building on for more. Like the things that we hate doing, 
in dental school are the things that end up being the most important setting up teeth um, you don't you don't understand why you have to do it but then you don't appreciate what the technicians have to go through when you give them a really excuse the language shitty impression or shitty bite wrench um, so the, these are all things that are really important and if you really want to think about it in a different way doing a full denture is essentially like almost doing a full mouth rehab just with plastic teeth it's essentially that um but yeah really good impression skills um are super duper important as well so yeah do your dentures don't cheat <laughs> <laughs> to do impressions properly that is the biggest game changer i went to tom Givlin's occlusion course in my third year and um he goes through a little bit of like proper impression technique with alginus and stuff like that, like how to get good border molding, stuff like that. And it wasn't like the main part of his lecture because obviously it was occlusion, but game changer. Like do you learn to do impressions properly? You will find that, you know, all these, a lot of things will end up being so much easier once you learn how to take impressions properly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely dentures aren't going to be phased out. Do your dentures. Um, that's my personal view on it anyway. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like I said, we've all struggled with it at some point, haven't we? <laughs> so what would you say your current ideal clinical day looks like? And the you know, types of procedures you might be getting up to? I would rather have like an ideal clinical week rather than ideal clinical day. Because while I love doing complex cases, rehabs and stuff like that, like they are taxing um, for anyone who's done like a good four hour, five hour block of work on just the one patient. You will know exactly what I'm talking about. There is so much more tiring than kind of just churning through a patient here, there, here, there. Um, so probably like a day I'll do like, you know, a good solid block, one patient, and then like next day I'll probably see a few here and there. See, I love I don't like one particular thing about general dentistry, which is why I don't specialize. I love doing a little bit of everything and maybe that's, um, it just keeps it less boring. Uh, I could, I don't think I could ever, like while I'm, I'm not saying that specialties, you only do one particular thing, like as a, you do, you end up doing like a lot of things, but I think I like doing general dentistry where you can kind of, pick and choose and send away the hard cases to a specialist so you don't have to deal with it. Um, so, yeah, like my ideal kind of week would have like maybe a day of like big cases and then like the rest of the week would be kind of, I like having longer blocks of appointments. I like doing quadrant dentistry. Um, first of all, like how much easier is it to get it in and out of the way, get your contacts right, stuff like that. Um, have the patient not come back and you don't have to wait 10 minutes for an IDP every single time. It's, it's yeah. So probably longer blocks of, you know, filling appointments, um, crowns, stuff like that. Yeah. That would, that would be my kind of ideal day, ideal slash ideal week. Yeah. No root canal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there'll be ortho in that at some point. Hey. <laughs> yes, there'll be ortho. So if I was doing ortho, I would have like, a whole afternoon block of just ortho makes it so much more efficient um and i say afternoon just because most of my kids are obviously most of ortho patients are teenagers and it's after school so whole afternoon block of ortho somewhere and then i don't have to like see them throughout the day and stuff like that Ortho is like a whole other um love hate relationship kind of thing i'm i'm, I'm sure people who do ortho can relate so <laughs> Is it, is it the patients or is it what is involved in it or is it the timeline? Or a, little, this... oh, a little bit of both. It's more like obviously um, like 
maybe I'm just getting into it. There's like <laughs> bracket positioning, um, the brackets falling off. Mostly kids, like kids complain and, and then they'll, they don't brush and just like, mm, irks me. <laughs> you're going to get white spot lesions, but you don't care, but you're going to get white spot lesions. And then if you don't care, like, how can this be okay? You don't understand. <laughs> um, that's, I think that's obviously the dentist inside everyone talking. Um, but like, honestly, just looking at the progress for a lot of these kids in the first six months that you do ortho, you're lulled into a false sense of security. Like this is game changing. Absolutely awesome. It's, it's great. I think ortho is one of the pillars of things that you should know. Um, at the end of the day, like a lot of, you can't do a lot of good rehab work without having your teeth in a proper position to begin with as well. So, which is why I did ortho to begin with in the first place. And what you don't really want to do is kind of keep needing to refer people out, which is, I mean, it's fine to refer, but often getting the patients back is a whole other ball game and stuff like that. Unless you interact really well with the orthodontist, um, sometimes you might lose them as well. So. That's why personally I like to oversee it myself. Um, and, you know, if if there's like minor changes or if there's like an adult patient who does need just slight repositioning of teeth while they're, before they get, you know, some bigger work done, then you can just handle it yourself. Um, maybe charge them a slightly cheaper price or something, but it's definitely, it's nice to be able to just handle it on your own. Yeah. Mm. So what do you hope your ideal clinical or non-clinical day to look like, you know, in five years time? I think, you know, what are particular courses? I think you've mentioned some, you know, EODO is something that you want to dabble in to kind of further that. Are there any particular other courses that you want to dabble in so to I'd further like, maybe implant or? Yeah, know? yeah, for sure. So my, my timeline, which I kind of had like a general gist of is doing restoring stuff, restorative stuff first, um, get that down pat, which I think I'm kind of nearing the end of, and then kind of get ortho done and then move on to implants, um, and surgery and stuff like that. So eventually like my personal, um, goal would be to have anyone who walks in through the front door and I can say, yeah, I can do that. You know, that I think, I think that'd be pretty cool. Obviously there'll be complex cases from time to time, but it's more just the fact that you can, yeah, I want to be able to do a little bit of everything um, and kind of handle it by myself. So eventually down the track, definitely a bit more implants. I want to learn more than just guided and guided dentistry, oh, sorry, guided implant dentistry. Um, you know, how, so all the build of the soft tissue, you know, that architecture is so important. And yeah, eventually maybe move on to a little bit of soft tissue surgery as well. Um, yeah, like not necessarily complex implants, but just enough so that they're, oh, missing tooth. Let's pop an implant in there, get it in. So it's, it's all part of a whole big treatment plan at the end of the day, yeah. Like, nice round and I can all do it myself kind of situation. Is there a particular CPD course that you might be interested in? Oh, no, but I'm open to recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And non-clinical day, do any, any considerations for non-clinical day to uh, look like? I think if I was having like a good uh, kind of work-life balance maybe, I would maybe think about working three and a half days a week 
uh, or working in terms of dentistry and maybe my other days I'd be teaching a few Pilates and yoga courses here and there. It's it's just so much fun. Like I, I absolutely love it. It's a whole different side. And um, like me personally, I've always wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone, which is why I did Pilates instructing and stuff in, to the, in the first place. But it's just you get to connect with these people you get to connect with people in a whole different way. Like obviously, and I'm relatable, your patient walks in and they're like, no offense, but I really hate you. Like, it's just, or I really hate the dentist or, you know, it's just the number of negative energy that you receive from a lot of patients coming in. You're like, Oh yeah, whatever. But people come into the um, yoga Pilates room. They're like usually like, "Hey, I'm really excited to be here." Not necessarily all the time, but at least if they don't like you, they just don't come. You know, so um, it's like a whole different vibe, a whole different energy, and it's it's very nice to have a little bit of a little bit of both. Yeah. So also just see where see where the world takes me. I'm open to trying out new things, and yeah, I've. I just think the world has so much to offer and, you know, you don't have to necessarily be stuck in one place or feel like, oh, I've invested so much into this. I have to keep going. You know, you can always, life is so long. You can stop, have a break, do something else, try something new. And maybe once you do that, you might want to come back or you might want to do something new and whatever you do, that's okay. I don't think there's a right or wrong way of doing things or approaching things. There's just, so much yeah just so much the world has to offer i mean i'm talking about patients hating you i heard a really good dad joke on it it was like so why do the patients hate the dentist and then it was like because we're hurting their feelings and then it was like following up with that is that if that joke was that good it deserves a crown oh no that's that's a really good dad joke for you so here's here. I'm gonna wrap it up really quickly here. So I've got a quick question. I know you're a lover of outdoor adventures. What's your favorite beach you've been to so far? Oh, Anusa, like without a doubt. I've oh, okay. Mm. Around the world or in Australia? I mean, up to here. Well, I went to the Maldives a couple of years ago, and I must say that was spectacular. Like it was just unreal. Like landing and the the water is legitimately powdery colored. It doesn't even make sense. Um, Maldives would jump back in a heartbeat. But I do love Noosa. Um, The Noosa Coastal Walk is just absolutely beautiful. Absolutely just clears your mind of all things. Like, it's just nature is so beautiful. Um, Yeah, and and the beach there is just very very different vibes from the Gold Coast and everything else that most people go to. But Noosa, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You got to come down to Sydney at one point to check out our beaches too then, hey? (laughs) <laughs> well dr lisa Lou, thank you for coming on the show today if you could let the people know how they can find you and you know what's going on in your life yes yes so um i'm on dr dot lisa Liu on instagram so if you feel like you want to talk to me about anything um dentistry related life related send me dm and we'll get chatting <laughs> dr lisa Liu, good night lawrence good night <laughs> if you like this episode drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.